Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese paid a visit to China after attending a major global import fair in Shanghai as guest of honor. What turns the trajectory of bilateral relationship? Is it going to be a J curve? And as China's largest trading partner in Europe, Germany maintains a strong presence at the fair. Despite detractors' noises, the caravan moves on. What are German businesses saying? Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. You have been greatly missed. Visiting Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese told the Chinese people at a global import expo in Shanghai on Sunday. Albanese is the first Australian Prime Minister to visit China in seven years and is the first foreign leader to have such an honor at the fair. Now, the sixth China International Import Expo, otherwise known as the CIIE, is being held from November the 5th to the 10th. It is the first edition after China lifted COVID related travel restrictions. Now, the fair has attracted over 3,400 exhibitors from more than 150 countries, regions and international organizations, and it has received some 400,000 registered visitors. All of these are unprecedented numbers. Now, Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese was received by Chinese President Xi Jinping on Monday. Both sides agree that China and Australia share extensive common interests and that fostering relations serves both sides well. Now, this apparent U-turn came after relations nosedived since 2017, reaching a depressing low during COVID times. What has brought about the welcome changes? What lessons need to be kept in mind on both sides? I'm pleased to be joined from Shanghai by He Weiwen, senior fellow at the think tank Center for China and Globalization, and from Brisbane, Australia, by Warwick Powell, adjunct professor at the Queensland University of Technology. He was consulting former Australian Prime Minister. So, gentlemen, welcome to The Point. First of all, uh, a very brief recount of what happened over the past seven years. Now, the last time an Australian Prime Minister visited China was in April 2016 by Malcolm Turnbull, but the floor of ties seemed to have cracked ever since due to a series of incidents. China believes, despite strong economic compatibility, Canberra high so-called China interference theory, China virus origin suspicion, China threat theory, so on and so forth. And such voices were blown up by media and think tanks, which together created a very narrative, negative narrative against China and even the Chinese people. Now, all these seems to have passed on Monday concerning the future of ties. We predicted a slow recovery, but some people are saying instead of a slow recovery, this is going to look like a J-curve, meaning a quick and dramatic recovery. Professor Powell, let me go to you first. First of all, how do you look at the things that happened over the past few days and what we can expect in the near future? Thanks, Lucien. Look, I think over the last few days, we've seen the culmination of over 12 months of hard work from uh, government representatives from both sides to at least in the first instance, bring some civility back to the tone of the discussion, which then opens up the space where the issues of contention can then be worked through in a constructive and uh, rational way. So that's 
the first lesson I think actually to be learned is that, is that by shifting the tone, we can actually get back on track in terms of addressing the real issues that actually matter to everybody. What are these real issues, Professor Powell, would you like to specify a little bit? Look, I think the principal issues over the last few years had to do with the cornerstone of the relationship between the two countries, and that is, of course, trade. The two countries have, over the last um, 10 years or so, expanded their trade relationships to incredible levels, to the extent where Australia actually enjoys a significant trade surplus in its trade relationships with China, and where trading with China occupies around 30% of Australia's imports and exports. In other words, from the point of view of the Australian national economy and the welfare of the Australian people, the sustainability and stability of that trading relationship has been vital. Of course, in the last few years, that's been shaken up a little bit in some particular product categories, not only in terms of some of the tariffs or impediments that have been placed on Australian exports, but actually prior to that, a range of protective arrangements that were put in place on the Australian side as well, which in the end accumulate to, mm -hmm. to the situation that boiled over yeah. um, in the early, the early 2020 with the, uh, the, the pandemic-related mm -hmm. comments, um, which were totally unhelpful, and, um, and it's just taken time to get those mm -hmm. issues back to the table. Yeah. Well, now we understand that a lot of these trade disputes have been worked out by good faith from both sides. And Professor He, um, uh, Prime Minister Albanese, made remarks at the opening ceremony of the CIEE. As I said, he was the first foreign leader to have such honour. What do you think drove the two sides to come together and this far, this quickly? I think uh, apart from the political wisdoms of the both leaders, uh, we should pay great attention to the interdependence in trade economic relations. Uh, as far as 28 years ago, when I attended the World Economic Forum East Asia Summit in Singapore, that's uh, 1995, September, the then Prime Minister of Australia, Paul Keating, said, he showed a map that Australia is not an Asian country, but we are within the Asian hemisphere. That's the geopolitical, geoeconomic position of the country. During the first three quarters of the, this year, Australia and China bilateral trade hit $171 billion, while Australian trade with the US was only $37 billion, so five times as much. And China offered market for Australian exports $117 billion, while United States only offered $12 billion. So, China is by far the largest trading partner and brings us uh, trade, a stable relationship between the two countries will bring great benefits okay. to both countries. Yeah. Well, let's take a look at what Chinese leadership is thinking about this relationship. Trade is important, but from what President Xi Jinping told Albanese in Beijing, uh, it seems that it goes beyond that. For instance, uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping, while meeting his uh, Australian guest, uh, said that if a nation only prioritizes its national interests, the world seems small and crowded and full of risks and competition. However, if viewed from the perspective of a shared 
great future. The world is vast and abundant and full of opportunities and cooperation. In the tumultuous waves of global crises, the countries in the world are not each riding in more than 190 small boats, but on a shared big vessel. Professor Powell, how do you read his words? What exactly does he want to highlight here? I think the point with that analogy, if you will, about being all on a large boat sharing uh, the challenges and the opportunities of this great global ocean is that every country is interconnected with each other. All civilizations and all people are interconnected with each other. They have their own histories, their own traditions and their own cultures but we all share a common responsibility for this planet, number one, and the impacts that we make on this planet. And some of those impacts are actually the impacts that we have on each other and the sense of security that we all have about our respective places in the world. Now that doesn't come from seeing yourself as, a, as an isolated island. It comes from actively participating around a table of common interests to frame collective actions that can deliver the common good. Professor Towell, um, do you see the emergence of a new way of thinking in terms of how to solve the, the dilemma for Australians, the economic interests versus national security interests? Look, the economic interests and the security interests have unfortunately been framed in Australia um, very much as um, either ors. Uh, but I think there is a slow evolution of an appreciation that we need to reframe the way we consider these issues, especially from the point of view of a small trading nation. Okay. Prosperity must come with security and security underpins prosperity. Um, Professor Hur, that's very interesting. Albanese said this. He said that we know that international trade benefits the lifting of global living standards. And he says constructive economic engagement between countries helps to build relationships and helps to build understanding both of common interests and where there are differences. Do you think he's trying to say something here? I think uh, the Prime Minister Albanese is very realistic. He finds that Australia's benefits or the interests rely deeply with the East Asia hemisphere, with the Asia and the Pacific region, and with, within which China is by far the largest trading partner for Australia. And we can judge from RCEP countries that RCEP countries form an East Asia supply chain, and China is an important part of it, and Australia is also an important part. So why not we get together for the common interest? Mm -hmm. That is the wise selection. Okay. Another item which made a very rare splash on Chinese social media is the U.S. ambassador present at the expo. Um, U.S. ambassador to China, Nicholas Burns, said uh, this at the expo. He said, I think I'm the first American ambassador to be at this conference. I'm here to show that interest in a more stable and productive relationship. Uh, the U.S. reportedly sent the highest level delegation ever to the Expo and the U.S. Department of Agriculture led 17 exhibitors to the event. The U.S. also opened its first official pavilion at the Expo. Powell, Professor Powell, um, is there a sudden race to who is more present in the China market again? 
Look, the US and the China economic relationship, of course, is a very significant one in the world. The US has for a long time experienced a trade deficit with China and has sought for quite a number of years to either enforce or to arrive at through deal-making arrangements that would see that imbalance um, progressively corrected. The fact is, is that the US does need to export more to China and events like the Import Expo are designed specifically to enable that to happen rapidly and at scale. Okay. So it is sensible and pragmatic for the US to intensify its presence at events like this. Okay, now, so yeah, course, I'm, I'm running uh, out of time. Sorry, Professor Powell. I want to hear that sentence again, what you said, the relationship between um, prosperity and security, because that is very interesting. Please say that again. Well, I hope I can repeat it in the same way, but basically prosperity delivers security and security is underpinned by prosperity. These are mutually intertwined ideas. Okay. To suggest they are one or the other yeah. is erroneous. Yeah. Well, very quickly, one last question to Professor Her. Um, I had the, the graphic and some people are saying now there is seem to be the beginning of a U-turn, but others are predicting a J-shaped recovery, which means things all of a sudden turning very rosy. What is your projection in the future? Uh, I think that is too early to forecast whether U-turn or J-shaped it's good for the current movements and the developments. We still remain to see how it will evolve later. Both sides should work together actively in a solid way. Thank you very, very much for that uh, discussion. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there. Time is so limited. But I think the points are sent out there. Many thanks to Ho Wen, Senior Fellow at the Think Tank Center for China and Globalization, and Warwick Powell, adjunct professor at the Queensland University of Technology, joining us from Australia. He was advising former Australian Prime Minister. Thank you. We are going to take a short break. And when we come back, German exhibitors and the CIEE go way back. How confident are German businesses about China, despite noises from what I call fossil-minded detractors? Stay with us. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is the point. German companies shine at the 6th China International Import Expo, or CIIE. Records show the number of German exhibitors and their floor area have been the highest out of all European exhibitors during the past five expos, and the record is likely to be kept this year, too. This is seen as a showcase of strong business ties, as China has been Germany's largest trading partner for seven consecutive years. This is in contrast, however, to loud noises from a small group of what I call fossil-minded detractors in Germany and elsewhere in the West. What does the German business community think and want to say? To find out, I sat down with Michael Schumann, chairman of the board of the German Federal Association for Business Development and Foreign Trade, or BWA. This summer, he toured 21 Chinese cities in six weeks. What did he see and feel? Here's our conversation. It's a very multifaceted picture. First of all, I saw a lot of positive development since I've been here last. I saw how the society, digitization, developed further. I saw a lot of new innovation 
in technologies in companies. I heard very interesting observations from the German companies I visited, mm. which is something you don't read about a lot at, you know, in Germany at the moment. And uh, of course, I also saw the challenges here. Uh, the pandemic hit here as it had hit Germany and Europe. But um, overall, still, it was a, a positive spirit of people trying to, hardworking as Chinese people are, mm -hmm. trying to overcome difficulties and believing in the future of this country. You genuinely felt that spirit is alive more than before the pandemic or a different one? Because right now people are talking it's about... A, it's a different one, mm. of course. I mean, the pandemic has left traces. And uh, of course, you could also see and feel the scars. And uh, you hear, you know, about a young people's situation at the moment, very difficult to find employment. But then again, we have a big shortage of skilled labor in Germany. There's always opportunity. but. You know, overall, I, 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 I still had this feeling of this being a, you know, a people-centered society mm. and a society where people look with optimism into what they can achieve by themselves and collectively. One of the things that people, uh, including me, are very interested in is exactly what German business, German entrepreneurs are thinking at this moment because they're somehow caught in between yeah so what have they been telling you and how are their days are their days difficult are their days promising are they considering relocating are they considering staying even putting more of their life in here mm. well i've met with with many companies I, I started my my itinerary almost in shenyang going to bmw first looking at the plans there talked to many German hidden champions that uh, have set up in China and uh, also to young startups that have set up here during the time of the pandemic. And uh, I didn't hear from one that they were thinking or considering to leave the country. On the contrary, you know, mostly had either just finished new production lines or are planning to expand their investment. I heard a lot of um, focus on strengthening R&D research and development, trying to benefit from the Chinese, you know, innovation environment. I uh, heard from companies that innovate here um, and, and transfer those innovations back to their headquarters. Um, generally, companies are still profitable. Yes, in some areas it's more challenging than before because there's more competition. Mm -hmm. Um, also from Chinese counterparts. Of course, but uh, come on, the country is developing, so you need to stay ahead. Um, Germany has always been a land of ideas, and uh, I think we can keep that spirit. But on the you know, overall, overall impression, um, they were here to stay, and they are here to stay. Why do you think the optimism? Because if you read the papers, in the West. Yeah. Even if you read the articles here, watch the videos, you feel that the relationship is tense, everybody talking about, you know, de-risking or moving away from the dependency on China, mm -hmm. uh, relocating to India or to, mm -hmm. you know, Southeast mm -hmm. Asia where the labor is cheaper. Mm -hmm. But you just said not a single one German company mentioned about leaving here. Why? Well, 
I mean, I can only speak from the experiences that I have made um, talking to mm -hmm. those German corporations set up here. But I think there is, um, you know, there's a growing, growing gap or disconnect between the, um, you know, the rhetoric and the discourse that you have in politics and media, and then the real experience of companies on the ground here, but also the impressions and beliefs of uh, many um, entrepreneurs in Germany, many representatives from the business sector. So um, we were very outspoken um, when that so-called German-China strategy was released. And I know of a substantial part of entrepreneurs who don't agree with that strategy at all. Mm. What's wrong with it? Because I, I quoted a little bit calling China simultaneously a partner, competitor and systemic rival. Okay. Why, you know, are people not? Well, well, maybe we, you know, we um, talk about um, two parts. One is this, this, this notion of dependency and um, versus resilience. And the other one is that strategy paper that that was released in July. Mm -hmm. I think discourse about dependency, of course, had its, its origins in the experiences that we made from the pandemic. When you saw supply chains disturbed or breaking down, and also um, when we suddenly realized in Germany that you know, some essential vital goods mm. um, weren't available anymore because of that emergency situation. And then, of course, we we, we saw the dramatic changes uh, geopolitically that led to the uh, more or less uh, very dire energy situation mm -hmm. in, in Germany. So, so there's some reason, justifiable reason, why we've had this talk. For example, if you're a family and you can't get fever medication for your children because it's not being produced in the country anymore, certainly you should act. Okay. So I think that is that's, that is legitimate, but. You act then by coming up with strategies to become more resilient. And if we would have created a national resilience strategy, for example, I think there wouldn't be no objections. The question is, why does it have to be a China strategy? You know, is there a need for Germany to have a China strategy? If you if you talk about resilience, then do a resilience strategy for every industrial sector where you where you find out that that you have problems supplying your population. And I think there's you know, China understands because you're doing the same thing in, in, in some critical sectors, right? But when you had this so-called China strategy talking about de-risking all the time, I think first you have this logical flaw, you know, why well, you call it a China strategy, no need for that. What's the level of curiosity among Germans, ordinary German people, despite the media bombardment of negativity? <laughs> How curious are they, especially the young people, about China? about coming to China? I think quite curious, especially the young generation. You know, quite often the experiences that I'm making, the people that I talk to, it, 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 they don't add up with what you hear and read for in, in, in the media. You know, we just had a, a delegation of German students um, coming to, uh, as a, uh, to China as a program by Tongji University. So it's a, it's a hundred students coming here. Um, they had much more applications than open spaces. So great interest. There's a young, um, you know, digital natives program by Huawei called Digital Seeds, mm. 
coming in uh, September with 50 young German talents. Also great interest, great interest. And uh, I think that gives hope for the future. Looking ahead, um, given the kind of polarization, given the kind of disconnect that you just mentioned, and also the United States being a very important factor behind the drumming up of the China threat rhetoric, uh, what, do you, what worries you and what keeps you relatively optimistic? Well, of course, in great power competition, uh, the major question always is, can it be resolved peacefully or not? So I think that not only worries me, but worries many people in Germany as well. Um, and we just hope that uh, uh, we'll find a way, the global community will find a way to manage differences peacefully. Mm. I think from the experience that I'm making, not only in the business community, but every day connecting Germany and China and so many people, I, I, I feel optimistic, still feel optimistic, because I, I see that every encounter makes a change and that the cultures are still complementary to some extent. You know, Germany is and has always been a land of ideas. And uh, Chinese are so apt at taking these ideas and scaling them up, you know. And uh, there are so many um, connections between our cultures and our countries dating back such a long time that people don't know of in Germany anymore. So we need to teach and we need to, to, to become as knowledgeable on China as we have become in the last decades on the United States. It's a process that will take some time. But, uh, you know, looking at each and every one of these encounters, I, I, I still feel that there's hope. Mm. Yeah. China is Germany's largest trading partner for seven consecutive years and Germany's China's largest trading partner in Europe. How important is it to have a good relationship with China for Germany? Okay, first of all, I, I wouldn't like to just justify it by economic reasons. Of course, China is a very important trading and business partner for mm -hmm. Germany. But this is not the only reason why we should have good relations. I mean, our cultures are complementary to some extent. Now China is a world um, shaping power uh, with great innovative potential. We can and should learn from China. And um, I believe that this is reason enough to keep on a good standing. I like the positivity. Michael Schumann, chairman of BWA of Germany. With that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with me, Lushin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lushin in Beijing. You've got the point.